Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. We will read verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised also with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having been forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray as we go to God and his word. We thank you, Lord God, for disclosing yourself in Holy Scripture. What a joy it is, Lord, to know you. What a joy it is to have Christ for us and not against us anymore. And we pray, God, that our eyes would be, again, once again, fixated upon him, that he might come and fill us with all that he is, obviously not um, emptying himself in any way uh, of his own deity, but uh, being our great surety, our great mediator, interceding for us even now. So, Lord, we pray that Christ would be glorious through our eyes by faith. Amen. It's a joy again to look at God's Word with you through the book of Colossians. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. The theme for today's text is of utmost importance. It is knowing Christ is true fullness. Knowing Christ is true fullness. We are, if I have my math correct, one-third through the book, and up until now, the Apostle Paul has not told the Colossians anything to do. That's striking to me because the Colossians were perplexed about the Christian life and what to do. This was their issue. We have Christ down, so they thought. What does it look like to have true fullness now? What does the Christian life look like now that the gospel is clear in our minds? And so give us that extra blessing. Give us that extra sauce, the Apostle Paul. That's what they were wanting. And Paul does not begin his letter to the Colossians about what to do. 
And I think because if he would do that, he would be standing the gospel on its head. The Apostle Paul is a better theologian than that, and a pastor. He anchors Christians, Colossians, us, in our union with Christ. Ever before, he is concerned with our communion with Christ. All right? That's what the Apostle Paul is is just uh, always concerned with. But if you start with our communion, you may run the risk of standing the gospel on its head. First, Paul says, you need to understand your union by faith that is unshakable, unbreakable, grounded on the person and work of Jesus. And then, after a couple of chapters, do we talk about your communion or what you do as a Christian? Just look at our text. Verse 6. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So, walk in Him. That's the first thing Paul calls them to do. Is to walk in Jesus. And then he says, rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith. And then for the rest of the text, he goes on and on about Christ. So Paul definitely has an urgency that we may walk in Christ in a way that will be glorifying to Christ. No doubt about it. Don't don't misunderstand me. But Paul has a greater urgency to ground that communion. What you do in your union with Christ. Paul never leaves the person of Christ far off in his review mirror. So what would you say to a young Christian? or a non-Christian, if they asked you about the Christian life? What does it mean? What does it look like to live the Christian life? I fear that some of us may begin with the spiritual disciplines. It means reading your Bible and praying and going to church, which is phenomenal. But that's not how the Apostle Paul would argue the Apostle Paul would not put the Gospel on its head. He would begin with the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ, union with faith in Him, and then talk about what we must do in the Christian life. So, as I see it, we have two points in our text. True fullness is being filled in Christ. And true fullness is being filled from Christ. Prepositions matter. True fullness is being filled in Christ. And secondly, true fullness is being filled from Christ. And we'll do our best with God's help to walk through this text together. First, true fullness is being filled in Christ. Verses 8-11. through See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now we know from Sunday school that this is not the good kind of philosophy, which is a handmaiden to good theology, right? 
Good philosophy takes us, or it should, to good theology. It's a handmaiden, so that's not, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about world, worldly philosophy, not according to Christ. So see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. So they're, they're baking in uh, human standards into what you ought to do according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And then he says, verse 9, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul is saying, if you want to know what fullness is all about in the Christian life, you want that, you want that pizzazz in the Christian life. If that's what you want, Paul says, look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him, Paul says, the whole fullness, that's our key word, of deity dwells bodily. So in a man, you have eternity. In a man, you have infinity. In a man, you have aseity, self-sufficiency. In a man, you have independence. In a man, you have eternal blessedness. In a man, the man Christ Jesus, you have the fullness of deity. And that dwells Bodily in one person, our mighty Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think Paul's point here is not simply a theological statement about Christology, though that's absolutely true, that Christ is God of very God. Yes, that's true. But I think knowing the background of the Colossians, I think this is also a pastoral, might you say, punch in the gut. I know, Colossians, you want to talk about fullness in the Christian life. But when you think about fullness, Paul says, don't think primarily and preeminently about your life and what you need to do. Paul says, think primarily and preeminently of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fullness of what dwells in Him. So don't leapfrog Christ, he says. And he says to us, don't leapfrog the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to live the Christian life, you need to understand that true fullness is being filled in Him and knowing Him. And then he says, verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Now we are at the, as most commentators think, the center, the very marrow, the substance of the letter. You have been filled in him. And I take that to mean when you come to Jesus and you have a sense of the majesty of His love. 
the wonder of His grace and the inflexibility of His justice, when you have a sense of that, that, Paul says, is true fullness. And as Christ gives Himself to you in the Gospel, not diminishing Himself one bit, you are filled in Him. So many people think the Christian life is doing and doing and doing things for Jesus or not doing. And the Apostle Paul does not stand the Gospel on his head. Paul says the Christian life is all about knowing and knowing and knowing the incomparable Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it's about being found in Him. It's about your union with Him. Have you ever noticed that the times in which you seem to have fullness or mature the most was not because you decided to make some grand decision for Christ? The times in which you seem to have fullness of Christian life, isn't it true, beloved? Are the times in which you seek to know Christ deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper? So that you can't help, you can't help yourself but to read. You can't help yourself but to pray. You can't help yourself to wake up on Sunday morning. That's the Lord's Day. I get to be with God's people. Why? It wasn't because you said, oh, i got to read the Bible today. It's because you have been filled with Christ and knowing Him. And He then changes you by His grace. And then he says here, he keeps going on about Jesus. Again, Paul, he never leapfrogs Christ. Remember that game when you were kids? He never leapfrogs Jesus. Who is the head, he says, of all rule and authority. What a glorious statement. So, whoever rules in any realm, that kingdom is Christ's. That's what that verse says. Whoever rules in any realm, that kingdom is Christ. They only rule by commission from Christ. All rule and authority are under Christ's feet at His command and absolute disposal. What a glorious thought. Especially for tired, weary, half-joy-filled Christians like us. That's our King. He is glorious on His throne, beloved, at the right hand of the majesty on high, the place of preeminence, the place of exaltation. He is glorious in His kingdom, all power in heaven and earth. His kingdom spreads from shore to shore, from sea to sea. He is glorious in His name, the name that is above every name, King of kings and Lord 
of lords. He is glorious in his servants. His chariots are 20,000. Can you see them, beloved, with your mind's eye? His chariots are 20,000. Upon them he rides in the heavens. What a beautiful sight. There's Christ riding in the heavens. He sends out the voice of his strength and 10,000 upon 10,000 of his holy ones attending him. Do you see it? He is above all rule and authority. He is glorious in the administration of his kingdom, sweetness and serenity and goodness towards his people, but terror, vengeance, and wrath towards his enemies. Oh, how glorious Christ is. All rule and authority under his feet. And this is the one, Paul says, you have fullness in So before you talk about your things to do as a Christian, there is plenty of things to know about Christ and your union with Him to fuel you to live a life worthy of the Gospel. Because it ain't going to happen by your self-creative, energized will. So secondly, Paul says true fullness is being filled from Christ. And I just have three observations to make under this heading. True fullness is being filled from Christ. The first is that you've been brought from old to new. From old to new. Verse 11, in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You've gone from old to new. Now, in typical Pauline fashion, this is a tough sentence. There's dependent clauses and independent clauses, prepositions and all sorts of things. Let's do our best to just, just to get the, the lay of the land here. Just for a couple minutes. In him, he says, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then he, in verse 12, uses baptism. So he refers to these two signs, circumcision as baptism, to refer to spiritual realities, um, i.e. conversion or i.e. being old to new. And he's using circumcision and baptism to teach this, okay? And he says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That would be new birth, conversion, born again, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What's that mean? The circumcision of Christ is his death. On the cross, Christ was circumcised spiritually. He was cut off, severed, as Isaiah says, from the land of the living. He was separated, severed, circumcised on the cross from life itself. So, in his death, Paul is saying, 
He circumcised you, meaning cut you off, severed you from the old union with Adam and to now new union with Christ. Okay? That's what the the imagery of circumcision is conveying. You're no longer in union with Adam. You've been severed from him. And then he says, in verse 12, in which you were also raised with him, excuse me, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So just like circumcision, baptism is this picture of of dying, of being cut off. You You were dead, now you're alive in Christ. And so again, this, this, this idea of the old man being cut off, dying in Christ by his death, and now in his death and resurrection, we are now raised anew. That's what Paul is saying. Implication. The reign and rule of sin of the old man is no more. The dominion, the power, the rule, you've been cut off from it. It's in the water. You're out of the water. Okay? You've been cut off from Adam. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, through His circumcision, you are a new creation. The old is gone. And behold, the the new is here, Paul says. And so that dominion, that rule, that, that authority of sin no longer reigns over you. Yes, the presence of sin is still with us. But its dominion has been severed from your life. Perhaps the entire enterprise of the therapeutic movement might become crashing down if we truly understood this. That you are from old to new. A new creation. Second observation. You brought from death to life. You've been brought from death to life. In you who were dead in your trespasses, verse 13, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So in the ancient world, what they would do to criminals is that they would nail their record of debt, their wrongs, their offenses, right next to them. You want to know this, what this man did wrong? Here it is. There's their record of debt. That's what they were doing. And so Paul alludes to this idea by Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You and I entered this world, Paul says, with an IOU. We owed God, as our confession states, perfect and perpetual obedience to God. As created in His image. That's what we owed Him. We could not fulfill that law. So Paul says, Christ 
takes that IOU, that record of debt, signs it in his blood, nails it to himself, that's mine. And that record is now erased. And Christ has brought you from death to in sin to life in Him. Charles Wesley says it the best, I believe. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. From death to life by the cross of Christ. And lastly, he has brought you from defeat to victory in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Christ seemed the weakest, he proved to be the mightiest. When he seemed the weakest, he proved to be the strongest. Disarming the powers above through his death and resurrection, Christ became the victor. So he brought himself to seemingly defeat and to apparent or clear victory. So he brings you from defeat in sin to victory in Christ. And so Paul says in Romans 8, now in him you are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. From defeat to victory, true fullness is being found, is being filled from what Christ does for you at his cross. Do not leapfrog Christ when you think about what to do in the Christian life. Do you notice, beloved, that we don't lose one day in the Christian life? We don't fail one day. Oh, in our communion with Him, we, it ebbs and flows. We struggle with sin, yes, but in our union, we never fail. We are always conquering. Always winning. We never lose one day when it comes to your union with Christ. So what's the conclusion then? Verse 6. Walk in Him. Walk in Him. You never leave Him. There's nothing beyond Him. You never live one day Without your union with Him, you're victorious, you're new, you're alive, you're forgiven. So walk in Christ. Isn't this the greatest news ever? He's your companion, your faithful friend. Walking in Christ should not be some arduous, self-centered, Christian-energized endeavor. We walk from our union with Him. So walk. Walk with His people. Walk in His law. And one day, you're just going to come all the way home. Because you walked with Him 
and you walked in him. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we, we do ask that you might give us this grace to walk. That you might give us this grace to never take our eyes off of the objective work of Christ for us. For Christ's sake, and for our good. 